Well, hey, it's so uh, good to be with you today, and uh, we are thankful. I uh, love having you here with us. My name is Paul Mumon, the lead pastor here, and uh, I know that we're excited. We've got our Haiti team back uh, after serving for a week. I know that they got in late last night. We see Manny over here, and uh, any, anybody else? Uh, Kyle back in the back. I know uh, these guys got home about 1 o'clock in the morning, and Kyle's even serving back there this morning, and Manny's here. The guys are waving to each other, catching up, so... Uh, I know they helped build a home. You guys got at least started on the foundation there. I love what you were doing. It's great to see the pictures and just uh, God's work through Genesis uh, in in Haiti right now. Um, I got back on Monday. I think I told you a couple weeks ago, I had the privilege of traveling for eight days. I went to Albania and I had a great experience in Albania. brought a few uh, pictures to show you. Uh, of our trip here. This is us coming into the uh, capital city of Tirana. If you don't know where Albania is, it's uh, right near Greece in the very southern portion uh, of the Balkans. Uh, The next picture here uh, really is just a great glimpse of what's happening in Tirana. You can see the mosque uh, there off to the right of that statue. Uh, 70% of the people in Albania would claim to be Muslim. Uh, while very few of them actually practice their faith. And about 30% um, are Orthodox, Christian, and Catholic. And right now, uh, they estimate that 0.3% of the people in the country are actually evangelical Christians. And uh, communism uh, ruled there from just right after World War II all the way up until 1992. And so there's freedom there today. And they really pride themselves in uh, religious freedom and and, uh, religious tolerance. And so I felt very safe there in this capital city is moving and bustling, and uh, on a Saturday, we got up into the mountains uh, to this castle, and just a really cool sight, again, a very beautiful country. Uh, Next picture here. Uh, This is in the city of Duros. This is a 2,000-year-old amphitheater, a Roman amphitheater that we visited, and uh, what was really cool to me, and I didn't realize this in going, is that in Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul talks about taking the gospel as far as Illyricum, which is the ancient name for Albania, and so many people believe that the Apostle Paul traveled this Roman road through Duros and may have actually even visited this amphitheater during his ministry, so it's so cool to stand there. Uh, This is the castle. This is the team that uh, I went with, uh, Joe Wilson in the background, helps lead a ministry uh, to plant churches in Eastern Europe and Russia. Uh, Eric off to the left, up in front, is a pastor from Chicago who invited me to go along. The guy to the right, his name's Lauren. Uh, He's a missions pastor from Atlanta. And so together, uh, we put on a conference uh, for pastors, for church leaders from not only Albania, but Greece, Macedonia, uh, Montenegro. We had a great time with them. Last Sunday night, we visited Uh, This awesome church uh, in the city of Tirana, a church called ICF uh, Tirana, and man, they are doing some great things. They do two services on Sunday night. Even as I'm talking right now, they're getting ready to start uh, their first service, but man, they are reaching young people, and they are reaching a generation and and spreading the gospel. I mean, the gospel is forcefully uh, advancing right now in Albania, and God is using ICF Tirana. They are reaching somewhere around 200 people, which already makes them one of the largest churches Uh, in Albania, and I got the opportunity to preach there last Sunday night. I want to show you a picture here of their pastor. Uh, This is Altin on the left, his wife, Ada, and uh, man, talk about special people and uh, what God is doing through them and their leadership and their ministry. I I just had this sense of peace and confidence in working with Altin of just his heart for Jesus Christ and how he really believes that God is going to use ICF Tirana and other churches Uh, to really spread the gospel, not only in Albania, but outside of Albania. And so as I was going, and even in there, I had been praying, you know, Lord, what do you want to do through this experience? Not only in my life, but 
Is there something here for Genesis? Is there something that we can contribute to? And I got to tell you that by the end of the trip, uh, the Lord revealed to me an opportunity that right now, uh, ICF uh, Tirana, uh, they have very little financial resources. Again, they are just packing it up. They've got two locations already. They're running three worship services, and a big part of their ministry is a young man by the name of Mariol. And uh, Mariol is their worship pastor, and they can't afford to pay him. But people are coming because of the music. They are coming because of the worship and because of his leadership. And he's trying to support his family, but he really feels called to this church. And so he's playing in bars and pubs to make extra money to provide the resources that he needs to lead worship and to lead their team and to really help uh, this church grow and continue growing in their influence. And so I asked a question uh, on the last day. Uh, this is Mariol over to the right. I asked a question of uh, one of their church leaders. I said, hey, what would it take? to bring Mario on staff full time. And he said, well, believe it or not, it would take around six, maybe $700 a month. Really, I mean, that's all the resources that he would need to be able to be full time on their staff. And that's what they've been praying for. And so I'm pretty excited to tell you this morning, Genesis, that I spent some money. And uh, just really felt confident and confirmed in that moment uh, that here's the thing. I didn't even tell you yet. Here's the thing. Uh, I said, you know what? Genesis has got that, and so it's really cool that we are going to pay this guy's salary uh, for the near future, and I've already received a message from him. I didn't get a chance to tell him directly, but he's so excited. I'm so excited that I just want to remind you that as you give, as you give financially, as you pray, as we pray for these things that are happening even beyond Genesis Church, this is one man and one family and one church that we're praying for, and I just believe there's an incredible opportunity there for partnership, so get ready. Um, I see some trips to Albania in our future as well, and uh, so maybe God would have in mind for you to go to Albania with us uh, on one of our upcoming trips. So thanks for your generosity, thanks for your prayers uh, and support. Uh, it's exciting. It's going to be fun to see what the Lord's going to do through Albania in the small part that we might get to play in it. So uh, they're getting ready to start their first services. There's a six-hour time difference. They do Sunday night services. So can we bow our heads and just pray for them, pray for Mariol and Altine. Uh, in their church for just a moment. God, I thank you for what you're doing uh, in Albania and through ICF Tirana. Thanks, Lord, for giving me the opportunity uh, to go and be a part of it. Thank you for Altine uh, and his ministry, for Mariol, uh, for providing for him, Lord, that we get to be a part of that as Genesis Church. Uh, God, it, it just advance your work there. Spread the gospel, change lives, and bring people to Christ. And uh, keep stretching us, Lord. Keep stretching our faith. Uh, thanks for our team that was able to go to Haiti and for all the family and friends that have supported that. Uh, and thanks for your work again through Albania and how Genesis gets to play a small part in that too. Uh, we trust you. We trust you and we trust your love and uh, we love helping people find their way back to God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you've got a Bible with you uh, today, take it and turn to John chapter 4. If you use a Bible app on your phone, you're welcome uh, to go there too. We're continuing in this series today, a series that we're calling Through the Lens. Uh, we're looking at seven miracles uh, performed by Jesus, recorded in the book of John. And last week, Kevin uh, was up here and he pointed out for us that if we put all of our hope in the miracle, uh, all of our hope in the miraculous, uh, even the miraculous power of God, we're really missing the point. Because what we want to see, what we want to find in these miracles is that much like the lens of a camera, uh, these miracles help us to better see our subject. They help us uh, to better see God and what he's like. And so over the next seven weeks, we want to look at these miracles uh, so that we can better see him and better understand who this compassionate, loving father really is and, and what he thinks of us. And last week, we talked about a wedding feast 
uh, in the village of Cana. And uh, I know we use this map, and we've got the map here on the screen for you to see it a little bit better. Uh, but at this wedding at Cana uh, that, that Jesus attended. Now, Cana is here near Nazareth where Jesus uh, grew up. And between the time of this miracle that we looked at last week uh, and the miracle that we're going to look at today, quite a bit has happened. We know uh, that if you follow along in John, that Jesus went from Cana uh, to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and sisters and the disciples, and they spent uh, at least a few days there. Uh, but then when Passover was about to happen, this sacred holiday, uh, because they were devoted Jews, they traveled uh, down to the south. They went all the way over to Jerusalem uh, for the Passover celebration. Now, this is where Jesus first went into the temple and really kind of saw the mockery that the, his father's house had become and how it was really this money-making machine, this uh, commercial center of sorts. And so he got a little upset, a little bent out of shape and uh, pulled out a whip and started overturning the tables. There was some righteous anger uh, that came out of him. Uh, we also know that it's here in Jerusalem during this time that he had an encounter with a Pharisee, uh, a man by the name of Nicodemus. And as Jesus was explaining what it means to, uh, to embrace the Father's love and what he's like, it's where we receive the words of John 3, 16, uh, when Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, uh, but have everlasting life. Well, after that, we know that Jesus spent some time in this area around Jerusalem, uh, and then it was time to return to the north. Uh, and in John chapter 4, the scriptures say that he had to go uh, through Samaria. Jesus knew and realized that the Father had a divine appointment uh, ready for him. And so while most Jews would avoid this area of Samaria, this area of Sychar altogether because they believed the Samaritans were dirty, half-breeds, they didn't want anything to do with them, they would typically travel over to the Jordan River, go completely around Samaria. But again, Jesus had to go. Uh, he had to go. Remember, he was teaching his disciples. He was modeling uh, the Father's love for them. And so we know uh, that he went into Sychar uh, where he met uh, this woman, and maybe you know uh, her story. If you know her story, you know this woman had quite a reputation. And while most of the people around her had rejected her, Jesus shows her compassion, and he extends love and grace to her, and her life is changed forever. Well, once they leave Samaria, then they travel back to Cana, again, where the miracle took place uh, that we visited last week, and that's where we pick it up today uh, for the second miracle in John chapter 4. Uh, beginning in verse 46. Let me just read uh, seven or eight of these verses for you. It says, Once more Jesus visited Cana in Galilee. Uh, Cana is where he had turned the water into wine. A royal official was there. His son was sick in bed at Capernaum. Well, the official heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, so he went to Jesus and he begged him to come and heal his son. Uh, the boy was close to death. Jesus told him, You people will never believe unless you see signs and wonders. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said, and so he left. And while he was still uh, on his way home, his slaves met him. They gave him the news that his boy was living. He asked what time his son got better. They said to him, yesterday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized what had happened. That was the exact time Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole family became believers. This was the second sign that Jesus did after coming from Judea to Galilee. And so uh, Jesus returns. He goes back uh, to this village uh, of Cana where he encounters a man. Uh, he encounters a father who's got a terrible problem. 
Uh, his son is sick with a fever. His son is on the verge of death. Now, this particular man, this royal official, this father had traveled from Capernaum uh, in the north to Cana. And for this nobleman, uh, this royal official, to leave his cushy home uh, and his life in Capernaum to travel to this little village of Cana. I mean, this man had to humble himself uh, to make this journey and to ask for help from a poor uh, Jewish carpenter. Now, I want you to consider for just a moment uh, what this must have meant uh, to this particular uh, official, to this dad. I mean, think about how desperate he must have been. Again, as a royal official in the Roman Empire, I mean, this man had wealth, which meant he had access to the very best doctors and scientists and pharmacists available, but none of that's worked. Uh, none could help, and so he was forced to go to Jesus. And isn't it just so true that sometimes it's not until uh, God is all you have that you realize that God is all you need. Uh, that when we're at the very end of our rope, uh, we've got nothing left to give. I mean, some of you know what that's like. Uh, some of you have been in a position like that before where you've got nowhere to turn. You, you know, you're not sure what to do next. There's no one that could help. And so you were at your end until you met God. And he changed your life and he rescued you. And you've never been the same uh, because of it, in, in a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate baptisms here at Genesis. And uh, for some of you, you're going to get an opportunity to tell your story about how God met you and how he's uh, changed your life. Well, um, here's this man, and well, just imagine what he's going through. I mean, he's got a son that is very sick. He's got a son that's critically sick, and some of you can probably relate to something like that. Uh, if you've ever had a child that's been sick, I mean, you know the suffering and the agony and the pain and the grief that comes with something like that, or maybe uh, just as a family member, you've watched a loved one go through a really difficult time, really struggled uh, with an illness. You've watched someone suffer, and, uh, and if that's the case, you know that you would do almost anything uh, to help them get well. I mean, there's nothing that motivates us more uh, than something like pain. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, you know, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. Uh, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And if you've ever hurt before, maybe you've heard that megaphone of God. Uh, you've heard uh, uh, his, his help for you. I mean, God uses our pain to draw us closer to him. And that's what happened to this dad. That's what happened to this royal official. His pain uh, forced him to make this journey to see a man that he wouldn't normally turn to. And then he gets to Jesus, and he finds that Jesus is in a bit of a bad mood. Not really, but uh, check this out. In verse 47, it says, So he went to Jesus and begged him to come and heal his son. The boy was close to death. Here's what Jesus told him, verse 48. You people will never believe unless you see signs and wonders. And so we know that it wasn't just this man, but evidently there was a crowd that was around Jesus. And, and so Jesus has some bit of frustration, but he's not frustrated with this man. Uh, he, he's frustrated with this crowd, this this crowd that's around him. I mean, for Jesus, it seems that no matter where he goes now, people are coming and all they want to see is a miracle. It's kind of like people that go to an auto race and you really only go to a race because you want to see the wreck. Uh, or you, you go to a fight and you wait for the hockey game to break out. I mean, that's really your only reason for going to such events. Well, these people, and Jesus realized that they, he just believed that for so many of them, they were coming uh, for all of the wrong reasons. And remember, too, that even though it's still early in Jesus' ministry, and even though we all have only studied one miracle uh, that John recorded, there may have been more. All right, especially as Jesus spent time around Jer uh, Jerusalem and in Judea. And so maybe the royal official heard about these. 
Uh, maybe the news had spread to Capernaum. We don't know for sure, but whatever the case, uh, the word is getting out about Jesus, and so people are coming to him, including a very desperate father. And while Jesus uh, demonstrated frustration to this crowd and his frustration was apparent, his reaction to the man says so much about our father, so much about our God, and just simply this, that God helps the helpless. Uh, he is there for the helpless. He, he loves to help. In Jesus, we see that we have a father who loves to help, that he is a compassionate and a loving father. Isaiah says it like this about him. In Isaiah 25, verse 4, he says, For you have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress. We know that he is a defender of the helpless. We know that he is a defender uh, for those who are in need. I was on the phone this morning with a mom whose daughter right now is in Riley Children's Hospital and just going through some tough times, really trying to get some answers. And you could just really see that hope and that strength in her, even on that call this morning, as she realizes that our Father is a helper to the helpless. Even in our most difficult situations, He is there to help. It's why He sent Jesus. Uh, Jesus said this about Himself in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, speaking uh, words from the Old Testament. He says, hey, here's the thing. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me. To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, in Jesus, even in Jesus, we see that God is a helper to the helpless. That when we are at our weakest, uh, he is at his strongest for us. He is a defender of the helpless. And he is ready to come to our side. And he is ready and willing to help you. Uh, in your most difficult times, in your most difficult circumstances and pains. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have a part to play, all right, a response in this. I mean, think about what this man, this royal official, had to endure in order to get to Jesus. I mean, he, he, he made this difficult journey uh, to visit Jesus in Capa uh, Cana, and here, here's how we know this. Um, we know that Capernaum is about 700 feet below sea level, and so the journey to Cana would have been an uphill, and some believe about a 20-mile journey uh, to see Jesus. And so let's not forget, too, not only did he have to endure the physical strain uh, of a journey like this, but then there's just the agonies that he must be enduring up to this point. And even some of the questions in leaving his family to go and seek help, the questions he must have asked, you know, should I really leave my son? Or what if he dies while I'm gone? And if he does, will I ever be able to forgive myself? But he knows and he realizes that he has to do something. And so he goes and he can't know much about Jesus. All right, and that's really what makes this story so intriguing. I mean, he probably doesn't know what the scriptures have to say about the Messiah who will come. I mean, all he knows is he, he's got a problem, and he has the faith to believe that Jesus might have the answer for him. And so he gets on a horse, or he gets on a donkey, or maybe just on his own two feet, and he takes off, and he makes the trip, and he makes this effort to get to Jesus. And I just think there's a great lesson uh, in here for us too, and, and if you're taking notes, that even as we pray, and even as we call out, and as we cry out to God, and even if you're going to pray for something, just that reminder of be ready to put in the effort. You know, realize that it, it's going to take some effort on your part, and in my part, to keep bringing our requests before the Lord. I mean, if you're going to pray for something, if you're going to bring something to Jesus, to God, be ready to put in the effort. Now, you might hear something like that and think to yourself, okay, isn't that kind of in direct opposition uh, to what we mentioned just a moment ago? I mean, that God helps the helpless. But here's what I mean by this. 
this man was at the very end of his rope. He had exhausted all of his options. There were no other options. But somehow he finally realized that he needed help outside of what any man or woman could provide. And so he's turning to God. He's turning to Jesus, and turning this over to God meant doing the work to get to where Jesus was. I mean, this is a 20-mile trip. I mean, it, it took him 20 miles of faith to experience this miracle. And I want to be careful uh, and say that turning to God and bringing your request to God isn't just about logging miles. It isn't about the work we do or what we can prove uh, in, in, in our faithfulness. I mean, you, you can't earn a miracle any more than you can earn your salvation. Let me say that again. You can't earn a miracle any more than you can earn a salvation. I mean, you can't make a miracle happen. You can't, you and I, we can't force God or manipulate God to do something. But I just say all this because I can't help but wonder that when it comes to our prayers and when it comes to our cries, I wonder if sometimes God delays to see how serious we really are, to see how much we really need him and how dependent we are on him. I mean, how serious are we about trusting him and about turning to him? I mean, think about it. I mean, why did God make the Israelites march around the city of Jericho seven times before he tore the walls down? Uh, why did he require Naaman uh, to dip in the Jordan River seven times before he healed him? Elijah had to pray seven times for it to rain before it finally rained. I just can't help but wonder if sometimes he delays to see how serious I really am. And will I stick with him? And will I trust him? And will I keep turning to him even when he's silent? And even when he's not answering prayers the way that I hope? See, here's the thing. He is after total dependence. That's what he wants from you. That's what he wants from me. Total dependence and trust and faith in him. And so maybe let me just ask you this today. How dependent are you on God right now? How much would you say that you need him? How desperate are you for him? And are you willing to take this journey with him and to, to, to patiently trust him? Are you willing to keep praying and offering your prayers and offering your cries up to him, even if it requires uh, the rest of your life? Mark Batterson says it like this. He says, pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on you. And, and this father, uh, this royal official, he was serious. And, and think about what would have happened if he'd have stayed home. Think about the miracle that he would have missed if he never took this trip, this encounter uh, to be with Jesus. He would have missed the miracle. And so verse 49 again, the royal official said to him, he said, sir, come down before my child dies. You know, what is it about this request that just sways Jesus' heart? Notice that he calls Jesus sir. All right, and that's ironic. Uh, because a man in Jesus' position would have been subservient uh, to this royal official in this day. And so he should be ordering Jesus around. I mean, he had every right to arrest Jesus and to drag him back uh, forcefully to his home. But he didn't. Instead, he humbled himself. And he comes to Jesus with humility and respect. And he begs. He just says, sir, come down before my child dies. I mean, what desperation. I mean, we can only imagine this man. What faith. I mean, he honestly believes that there is something that Jesus can do about his dying son. And so in verse 50, Jesus' response is, go. He says, your son will live. And I want to just say here for the second, and this is just my own thought, that if, if Jesus decided or determined to do this miracle based on the faith of this royal official, he was justified, his choice was justified in the man's response because look at what the man did next. The man took Jesus at his word, and departed. A man with very little background in religion, 
very little understanding of Jesus. Lots of questions still lingering. See something in Jesus that is so trustworthy that he took him at his word and he left. And I just can't help but wonder how much different would my life be, would your life be, our lives be if we just took Jesus at his word? I mean, even if we just took the promises of Scripture and embraced them as promises, as truth, I mean, how much better would our relationships be if we took Jesus at his word? Uh, how, how much different would your marriage be right now if you just took God, if you just took Jesus at his word? How, how much different uh, would your financial life be if you took Jesus at his word, if you chose his direction and, and followed his way? I mean, that's what this royal official is doing. He took Jesus at his word. And he got more than expected. Verse 50, again, Jesus replied, go, your son will live. Again, the man believed what Jesus said, so he left. And let's just look at the end of this story again. It says, while he was still on his way home, again, this 20-mile, thankfully downhill, uh, on the way back, it says his slaves met him. They gave him the news that his boy was living. He did something interesting here. He asked what time his son got better. They said to him, yesterday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized what had happened. That was the exact time that Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole family became believers. Again, John records this was the second sign that Jesus did after coming from Judea to Galilee. You know, the way that he asked the servants at what hour shows that he was expecting or hoping that his son, or at least planning that his son would, 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 uh, would come back, would he would recover the world's way, you know, just slowly one day at a time. But their reply yesterday at the seventh hour, maybe your scriptures say, or we know as one o'clock in the afternoon, it was the exact moment at his encounter with Jesus. I mean, think about it. Think about the implications of that. His miracle was preceded by a word from the Lord. Jesus said, go, your son will live. The man went, and his son was healed. And you know, for me, you and me, as this man received the word from the Lord, you know, God wants to fill your heart. He wants to fill your life with, with circumstance, and your circumstances with uh, words of hope and, and words of, of encouragement too. I mean, he, he, he wants to hear your prayers. He, he wants you to bring your prayers in desperation before him, whatever that is for you. Maybe something specific that's going on in your life, uh, even today. And more than anything, again, what he desires from us is total dependence. Total dependence on him. We see that in Jesus' words. In John chapter 15, verse 7, when Jesus said, if you remain in me. I, I like other translations that actually use the word abide. If you abide in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You know, to abide in Jesus to remain in Jesus means to stay connected. You know, almost as a branch to a tree with roots planted in the ground, our source of strength and nourishment, everything that we, come, we need comes from that connection. As we abide in Jesus, as we remain in Jesus, and as we trust his word and believe in his word and apply his word uh, to our lives. You know, I wonder if Jesus would say something like this to us today. I wonder if he would say, don't seek the miracles, but seek me. Don't just seek miracles, but seek me and seek the Father. And, and I think what we're going to find as followers of Christ is that as we seek Jesus, and if you seek Jesus, you're going to find yourself in the middle of some miracles. You're going to see some things you never would have seen otherwise because of that connection with him.
Now, real quick, think about the uh, contrast of the miracle that we looked at last week from the one today. I mean, from the one last week, uh, this wedding in Cana, it was a time of joy uh, and festivity. The miracle today really is surrounded by worry and and sadness. Um, The miracle at Cana was a miracle of the ages. You know, God compressed the years uh, in order to make a fine wine, and he made that wine in a matter of seconds. But with this miracle today, it really is a miracle of distance. I mean, God doing over 20 miles what modern medicine can only do uh, at an arm's length. But just like that wedding of Cana, uh, the result, the miracle, uh, the result of the miracle is the same. Verse 52 again says, when he inquired as the time to when his son got better, they said to him yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And then the father realized that it was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And so what's the result of this? Do you see the result? It says, so he, that is the father, this royal official, and his whole household believed. The end result was that people were coming to Christ, turning their hearts towards the father. I mean, this father believed in his influence over his family, over his household, his whole household believed. And what a great reminder for you and me. And as you go and as you live your lives, the faith, the faith you demonstrate and what that can accomplish in others. You know, even as you went to Haiti, and and just the joy that they saw in you, the joy that you saw in others who were in Christ, and what that does for us, and again, what that does uh, for others around us. You know, I think about some of the people that I had the opportunity to meet uh, while I was in Albania, and just a few of them here. I don't remember this guy's name. He was short, uh, quite a bit shorter than me, but man, this guy had a heart, and he had a passion, and specifically for the Roma people, or the gypsies. In Albania, he's got very few financial resources, but man, everything that his church is collecting, they're helping to teach the gypsy people to read and to provide resources and just loving them. Uh, This next picture here, again, just of how God uses us. I met this man by the name of Kent. He's from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and uh, he is serving full-time in Tirana, and he and his wife just know that, hey, God has changed our lives. We want to go and serve for the sake of others so that they might find their way back to God. Uh, this next picture is just a team, a church team from a, uh, a city called uh, Elbasan, and they've got a passion, they've got a vision to plant 20 churches in Albania uh, over the next years. And it just got me thinking, hey, if they can do that, and if our God can do that, why can't he do that through us? You know, I mean, what does he want to do through us and, and through uh, the ministry of this church? And then finally, this couple here, Gerti on the right and his wife, Blairy Ann, Uh, Just had a chance to sit and eat lunch with them one day. And again, just their passion and how Jesus has changed their life. Larry Ann over on the left was explaining to me that she grew up Muslim. And uh, now she and her husband serve full time with another church uh, in Tehran. And I said, well, what's that like for you uh, coming from a Muslim family to be a follower of Christ today? And she said, well, no, here's the thing. My whole family has come to Christ. And uh, she says, hey, here's what's the most spectacular about that. She said, my great, great, great great-grandpa was an imam uh, in the Muslim faith, but now we've all come to Christ. See, the gospel just changes things. And, uh, you know, the gospel is bearing fruit in the lives of of people like, uh, there's just the stories that I've shared, but he's bearing fruit in your life. And he wants to bear fruit in your life as you go and as you tell your story. And even in the difficulties of life, you, you, you put your trust in God and others see that and people are coming to Christ and his strength is good and it's right, and how does he want to use you? And man, how does he want to use me? How does he want to use you this afternoon and this week as you tell your story and as you keep your faith and your trust in him? You know, this boy was healed. 
this boy was healed in this story, but I think we also have to confront the question, but not everyone gets healed, do they? That's the tough part. And uh, even in this moment, you know, if you think about it, there's a group uh, crowding around Jesus hoping to see a miracle. And one of the really bizarre things about uh, this particular story and about healing a boy who is 20 miles away is that no one in the crowd gets to see it. Uh, no one, that is, except for the noblemen in this family. And uh, one of the difficult, again, realities of this story is that not everyone gets healed. Uh, not everyone gets fed. Uh, not every child makes it. And Friends get cancer, and people declare bankruptcy, and we know that marriages fail, and why don't we get what we want? Uh, why is it that we don't get what we ask for? I, I won't say or even try to understand all of this, but the truth is that, you know, so often I think I know what I want, but God knows what I need, and, and he knows what I need, and he knows that I need more of him, and more than anything in this world, his hope is that I will become totally dependent on him. And you too. And with this miracle, though, he reminds us that he can. And so I want you to be encouraged in this today. Even as you're praying, even as you're desperate for God to do something in your life, he gave us this miracle to show us that he can. And so that's great encouragement to you and me that no matter whatever you're facing in your life right now, he can. And he may. And no matter what's going on with your health, he can. And no matter how difficult your circumstances, how afraid you are, how hopeless or bad it may look right now, our God can. And uh, wherever we are, wherever you are today, he reminds us that in our most difficult moments, it's important to remember what Jesus shared with his disciples. You know, it was after he had risen from the dead, uh, much further along in the story, he recognized that what it meant for the, the disciples to actually see uh, with their own eyes that he had risen from the dead. I mean, how do you, how do you explain away that 2,000 years later, we're still talking about Jesus? I mean, something happened in these men and in these women that they kept telling the story. And so the disciples saw Jesus, and they saw how he conquered death. And that faith provided what they need to share it with the world. But here's the encouragement that Jesus leaves for us in John 20, 29. It says, then Jesus told them, he says, because you have seen me, you have believed. But here's his hope, and here's his prayer for us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus says, you will be blessed. He says for you and me that we will be blessed, that you will be blessed, even without seeing, even as you put your faith and your trust in him, even when you're still waiting and even when you're still hurting and even as you're still praying and believing, he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. I want to share the story with you this morning of one couple that's trying to live that out right now. Check this out. You know, when we first got married, uh, we decided that we wanted to wait maybe about three years before we started trying to have children. And uh, we didn't get started as soon as we wanted to because of wedding seasons and things like that. Um, but we quickly found out that the Lord's plans were different from the plans that we had made for ourselves. Trying for a baby, it's a lot of seeing multiple doctors. It's been shots before bedtime. It's been um, sometimes ultrasounds every other day, medications that kind of make me crazy. And it's all of that. We're putting all of that into this. And then we go into a tense time of waiting. And that's exhausting, that's draining. 
And then that's usually followed up with really intense disappointment. And then we have to start all over again. You know, infertility is kind of a silent struggle that always keeps you dangling because there's always the hope that next month things could change. It can be very private and in a lot of ways very isolating and very discouraging. It's not just about wanting a cute little baby or just wanting to be a mom. It's just a much, it's a much deeper calling than that. It's a much deeper desire than that. And so it also makes it a much deeper sorrow. Um, my heart aches so much to be a father. And uh, for so many reasons, uh, everybody knows I love kids. I think ultimately I just have a father's heart and I want, uh, I want to invest in people and I want to see people grow. It's hard to be constantly and consistently asked to die to myself and to my plans and to my timeline of having this perfect little family and this beautiful pregnancy. And I'm realizing that God never promised me those things. He doesn't owe me those things. And the sooner I surrender each of those plans and those dreams to him and I trust him and trust his plan for my life and know that that's ultimately what's best for me, um, the richer my days in this valley with him become. I don't know why God hasn't given me a child yet, but I do know that I trust him. And uh, this is a great opportunity for me to be faithful to him. And that's, uh, that's the point of life, is to be faithful to the Lord. And so the question now is uh, that you're probably wondering and we're wondering too is, is uh, how do we move on from here and what do we do next? What's the next step? You know, but I think that the Lord has given us uh, just a real piece about his timing and about um, how he's using this season. And so for us, the way that we move on is that we keep singing and we keep dancing and we keep proclaiming his faithfulness. We keep loving, we keep serving, and we keep growing. And we keep celebrating this incredible, amazing, wonderful life that the Lord has given us and the incredible, amazing, and wonderful people that he's given us to do it with. Trust and dependence. That's what he's after. And um, you know, like this father that we read about today who was willing to take his need desperately before Jesus. Um, I wonder if some of you just need to do that today. And uh, maybe one of the ways of just acknowledging that, of just kind of marking today for you and your faith and your trust 
and your dependence on him would be um, just to stand. And um, I know that might be awkward for you, awkward for some, but um, I, I want to pray for you. And uh, if that's you right now, thank you for that. Um, and you're just at a place where, again, where you just want to acknowledge, you know, I am trusting him. Um, I am bringing my request before him. I want to just invite you to stand uh, where you are. And I'm going to pray for you, and uh, we're going to pray for you as a church um, as we just open our hearts to him and as we say uh, that we need him and that our faith and our trust is in him. You can stand with us uh, if you want. Let me pray uh, for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come before you. And um, our hope uh, today is just to see more of you and to see what you're like and your compassion and your love for us, uh, believing that you can and knowing the promises that if we call out to you, you are there. If we cry out to you, that you listen, that you are ready and that you are moving and that you will provide for us, that you will sustain us uh, each day a little bit at a time. And you know the story and the situation and the circumstance for every person that is standing right now and even in those that aren't standing today. And Lord, I pray that you would see the faithfulness right now and the hope and the trust, and the belief in you, in these people, and in our church, and that, God, you would speak a word today, speak a word into their lives, and give them the faith that as they walk away and as they walk out of the door here in a few moments now, of knowing that you'll never leave them alone, and that you will provide, and that you are a God who can perform miracles for us. Father, increase our faith today. Increase our hunger and our trust in you. Make us more and more dependent on you. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior, the greatest gift that could ever be given, and that is new life in Christ and righteousness and forgiveness that for so many of us we know and for others here today, maybe they're hoping for, maybe even ready to reach out for and receive right now. God, encourage our faith and our strength and our trust in you. We put all of our hope in you. And our hope in Jesus Christ is the very foundation of our belief and faith and the strength that we need for each day. We pray for your blessings over us right now, even without being able to see our faith and our trust in you. Lord, will you bless us as we go, as we put our faith in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.